0: Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode number 213 The Curious Behavior of Tsar Peter III. Sorry I've been off the rails with producing any new episodes for the podcast, but my businesses have been taking a lot of my time, especially trying to recover from the pandemic. As many of you know, I have a Patreon version of the Russian Rulers podcast where I've been posting two episodes every month. There are presently 44 episodes available on topics I had not covered previously in this uh, podcast. For example, I just finished a three-part series on the 12 Russo-Turkish wars that stretched over 400 years and defined the Russian and Ottoman empires. For as little as $3 a month, you can support this podcast, and you can have access to all of these episodes plus a guarantee of two additional ones each month. My next one coming out on or around January 15th, 2022, is on the development of literature in Russia. This is truly a unique topic, as literature in Russia developed quite differently from its European cousins. Today's episode is focused on a czar who's gotten pretty bad press over the years, some deservedly, some not. Czar Peter III. As you might remember, Peter was the husband of Catherine the Great. He was overthrown on July 9, 1762, and murdered just eight days later, likely by the brother of one of Catherine's lovers, Alexis Orlov. Our focus will not be on the life and times of Peter, but on his curious behavior. First, I want to thank listener Ian G., who sent me an email with the idea that Peter III may have been a high-functioning autistic. This caught my eye almost immediately, as I've been working with autistic children since 1986, and my own eldest daughter was diagnosed with autism as well. Ian had a special connection. It seems as he is also a high-functioning autistic man. I commend him for being so bold and honest in his emails to me. Hopefully, this provides the base for an entertaining and enlightening episode. There's one ironic thing about who Peter III was. Born Carl Peter Ulrich, he was the grandson of two mortal enemies, King Charles XII of Sweden and Peter the Great of Russia. Can you imagine how the two of them would have felt had they known that they would eventually be related? Ah, the twists and turns that you find when you dig into history. What is somewhat sad about Peter's legacy is that much of what was written comes from his wife, Catherine. Now, the following comes from the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica, which shows how his image and legend was you know, poisoned by her. Quote, Nature had made him mean, the smallpox had made him hideous, and his degraded habits made him loathsome. And Peter had all the sentiments of the worst kind of small German prince of the time. He had the conviction that his prince entitled him to disregard decency and the feelings of others. He planned brutal practical jokes in which blows always had a share. His most manly taste did not rise above the kind of military interest which has been defined as corporal's mania, the passion for uniforms, pipe clay, buttons, the tricks of parade, and the froth of discipline. He detested the Russians and surrounded himself with Holsteiners. The Russian historian A.S. Milnikov had a completely opposite opinion, though, of Peter III. Quote Many contradictory qualities existed in him keen observation, zeal, and sharp wit in his arguments and actions. In caution and lack of perspicuity in conversation, Frankness, goodness, sarcasm, a hot temper, and wrathfulness. From the German point of view, historian Elena Palmer portrayed Peter III as a cultured, open-minded emperor. He uh, tried to introduce various courageous, even democratic reforms in 18th century Russia. We will be listing many of Peter's accomplishments at the end of today's episode. Listener Ian pointed out something that many historians gloss over when discussing Peter, which is his traumatic childhood. He was the son of Charles Frederick, Duke of Holstein-Gottorp, who was the nephew of Charles XII of Sweden, the archenemy of Peter the Great. His mother was Peter's and Catherine I's daughter, Anna Petrovna. Unfortunately, his mother died shortly after his birth, which is a horrible way to start one's life under any circumstance. To add insult to injury, in 1739, Peter's father died, and he became Duke of holstein gottorp as Charles Peter Ulrich at the age of 11. Between his mother's death and his father's, Peter had a horrific childhood by any standard. His father was a miserable man, who mistreated the young prince as his only interest in life was acquiring power. So this is where the question of his being autistic or suffering mentally due to the abuse he suffered, and that kind of needs a little bit more profound discussion. According to several studies of autistic children, a not insignificant number are targets of abuse by other children their age as well as neglect by parents. Lacking a mother to nurture Peter may have led to his inability to develop a relationship with his future wife, Catherine. Still, the abuse and neglect he endured before his 14th birthday may have had an effect so traumatic that he may not have had to be autistic at all to behave the way he is said to have. His mentors during the early years were particularly cruel to the boy then known as Carl. It is said that he was very interested in the arts, but failed at every other subject presented to him. This is not surprising if he were autistic, and they used the standard means of education at the time, which was rote learning. This is not a style that would help an autistic young boy learn anything. This would also be why his teachers would have been mean to him. They were probably immensely frustrated with him and his inability to grasp the lessons being taught. Additionally, Carl was fascinated by military matters, especially parades and drills. This also fits with the autism scenario. Armies were trained to be disciplined and precise. They were supposed to be consistent and organized, another trait that many high-functioning autistics relish in. Now, at this point in life, Peter's trajectory could have gone any number of different directions. But first, he was the presumptive heir of the kingdom of Sweden. The Swedish parliament had voted to name him the heir to Charles XII in October 1742. They did, not, they did this not knowing that other crowns might fit his head better. He was 14 when he would be named King of Finland in the same year, 1742, in the midst of the Russo-Swedish War of 1741-43. It is the third role that his life would take as a male heir to the throne of Russia. This was due to his mother being the eldest sister of the current empress of Russia, Elizabeth. Imagine the anger and embarrassment of the Swedish parliament when this would be the choice that Peter would be forced to take. Empress Elizabeth had determined that she needed a male heir, and since she was not going to have any children on her own, Peter seemed the best choice. There was a bit of a problem, though. When Peter's parents were married on November 22, 1724, a marriage contract was signed between Karl Friedrich and Peter. The agreement stated that Anna and Karl Friedrich would renounce all rights and claims to the crown of the Russian Empire on behalf of themselves and their descendants. However, a secret clause inserted at the last minute allowed the emperor or empress to name a successor from any child born from the marriage. As a result of this clause, the Tsar or Tsarina secured the right to name any of his descendants as a successor on the Russian throne. This little out allowed Elizabeth to designate Peter as her heir. In November 1742, Peter arrived in St. Petersburg and was promptly baptized into the Russian Orthodox religion. This had to be yet another traumatic experience for the 14-year-old. Now, imagine moving from a Germanic country into one that most of Europe viewed as more Oriental than European. Peter had no knowledge of Russian, and, if autistic, would have a hard time learning a new language and a new culture. In addition, most autistics prefer to have routines that allow them to function with less stress. Going to Russia would upturn all of those comforts. Add to that... Empress Elizabeth could be pretty hard taskmaster herself. She was well known to have a hot temper, and if Peter was autistic, he would have likely done things in the court that would test her temper. Just imagine your 14-year-old self moving to a foreign country where you don't speak the language, trying to fit into an imperial court when your social skills were poor, to say the least. A few years later, on August 21st, 1745, Peter and his second cousin, born Sophia Augusta Frederica, baptized Catherine, would wed. He was 17, she was 16. This was a miserable marriage, as he was not socially up to being married, and she was appalled by his behavior and his looks. If he was indeed autistic, it would fit the scenario that would play out. You have to also remember that there was no term autism in existence at the time. There were no psychology books to look up behavior traits to define what Peter's conduct fit into. Peter looked and behaved oddly. Also, much of what the futures are and what we know of him at this point in time comes from Catherine. She wanted to portray her husband as poorly as possible. This was done to add legitimacy to her reign as it was on very shaky grounds after his murder in 1762. Catherine was proven right when the Pugachev Rebellion, the most significant revolt to date, used a fake Peter III as its leader, opposing the legitimacy or illegitimacy of Catherine. In 1754, a son, Paul, was born to Catherine. She claimed in future writings, that he was not the son of Peter, as they had never consummated their marriage. While this is entirely possible, it is likely improbable. If we take the position that Peter was a high-functioning autistic, and autism can be hereditary, his son Paul was known for his eccentric and erratic behavior as well. Could it be that we have two autistic monarchs leading Russia? Did this continue down the line to someone like Nicholas II? Now, he was socially awkward and somewhat aware of what was going on around him. Both Catherine and Peter were to have several affairs during the early years of their marriage. It has been said that Empress Elizabeth, believing the rumor that the union had not been consummated, urged Catherine to get a lover so that she could bear an heir to the throne. This is highly unlikely, but a distinct possibility. It's now January 5th, 1762, and Empress Elizabeth has died, leaving the crown to her nephew, Peter. Some people are natural-born leaders, others are not. Peter is one of those whose strength was not leadership, as he had a hard time reading the room. However, one of his earliest moves would prove to be the one that would alienate him from the Russian court and that was his ordering and end hostilities against Prussia and the man he admired most, Frederick the Great. You have to remember that Peter was really not a Russian, as he came from schleswig holstein gottorp present-day Germany and Denmark. He signed a peace treaty with Frederick only four months into his reign, even offering his 12,000 troops to fight on his side. After seven years of fighting against the Prussians with their allies, Countless dead Russians sacrificed their lives for nothing. This did nothing to endear Peter with the Russian court. While unpopular within his government, this is where we begin to separate the truth about Peter and the malicious lies that have been told about him. The Russian contingent was furious with the Tsar as they had gone on to defeat the Prussians. They would have taken hold of East Prussia. Instead, Peter thought it wiser to solidify his hold on Holstein-Gottorp and improve relations with Denmark. And honestly, he was right. Furthermore, it would have helped Russian expansionism and commerce as the Prussians had Great Britain on its side and they were the greatest trading nation at the time. Before being deposed on July 9, 1762, Peter planned on declaring a war on Denmark to regain parts of Schleswig to his dukedom of Holstein-Gottorp. In June 1762, 40,000 Russian troops assembled in Pomerania under General Pyotr Rumyantsev, preparing to face 27,000 Danish troops under the French General Count Saint-Germain. There was a peace conference planned for July 1st in Berlin under the auspices of Frederick the Great. It was to decide on a plan to avoid a Russo-Danish war. While the debate was going on, Peter lost his throne, and the peace treaty became moot, as Catherine had no interest in any Danish holdings. So what accomplishments did Peter achieve in his very brief 186-day reign? While he had a great disdain for the Russian Orthodox Church, he did proclaim religious freedom for the people of Russia, and in particular, the old believers. If there was ever a way to get the Church to oppose you, this was the best way to do it. And this was a noble idea from Peter, but the timing couldn't have been worse. The old believers were still a major thorn in the side of the church, which would be evident with the Pugachev Rebellion in 1773-75, where many of these supposed schismatics joined the revolution. Next up was his disbanding of the secret police. Since the time of Ivan the Terrible, the secret police, then known As the secret chancellery was a brutal force in its many iterations. It had been created and grown under the rules of Empress Anna and Elizabeth. They were often seen as being above the law, torturing suspects against the government without any evidence. They were also a terribly corrupt organization, much like the Orthodox Church was. When it came to their monetary system, the Russians were still in the Middle Ages, Peter was the czar to create the first state bank, stimulating trade with other countries. It would also create a strong mercantile middle class within Russia, thereby threatening the upper class's monopoly. Yet another group of Russians that Peter alienated. By this time, though, Russia was an agricultural powerhouse, which prompted Peter to push for more export of those products where they had a surplus. He also banned the import of products that Russians could supply independently. This, of course, was a policy that would peeve off the foreign traders in Russia. Another group was angry with Tsar. The next reform coming from the short-term Tsar was the proclamation that serfs could no longer be killed by their landowners without trial. Before this, while it was looked down upon, a landowner could execute a serf for pretty much any cause. Sometimes they would kill a few of their weaker and less productive serfs to save money. Peter saw this as another reason why he so disliked his adoptive land. There is one thing that Peter did do that some viewed as very positive within the Russian court. The Tsar issued a decree known as, quote, The Manifesto on Freedom of the Nobility. This rescinded the compulsory military or state service for nobles that had been introduced by Peter the Great. This had been a thorn in the side of the nobility for many years, and one of the reasons why so many of them disliked the current Tsar's grandfather. However, it is one of the few reforms Catherine embraced after overthrowing Peter. Peter decided to institute reforms in the military, hoping to reshape the Russian army into one similar to that of his Prussian heritage. But, unfortunately, this would alienate yet another institution, namely the army. they were already pretty pissed off at Peter for having switched sides at the last minute during the Seven Years' War. Now, they were really infuriated by him. Furthermore, the Russian Guard, the elite members of the armed services surrounding the Tsar, felt that they were being insulted by having to change into a Holstein model. From this group, Catherine would get her support to stage a coup. While Peter was busy trying to upend everything he saw in Russia as an anathema to what his Prussian upbringing taught him, his wife Catherine was busy rustling up support for a coup. The Tsar was planning on divorcing her, and she knew it. Catherine was frightened that she would be forced to live in a monastery, giving up all hope of remaining in her position. She really had very little choice as to what was necessary to protect her self-interests. With Peter alienating so many groups within the Russian inner circle of power, Catherine had no problem finding people sympathetic to her cause. The most important group that sorely wanted Peter out of the way was the Russian Guard. They were fed up with the Holstein-style reforms being forced on them. The future empress was able to feel the resentment and understand how approached the situation so that Peter simply was just incapable of doing. If he indeed had autism, this is entirely understandable. Two men were at the forefront of the coup, the brothers Alexei and Grigory Orlov. They had ulterior motives as well, as it was rumored that Peter was going to have both of them disciplined and likely exiled. This was mainly due to the affair that Catherine was having with Grigori. In July 1762, Peter remained in Orienbaum, a palace some 40 miles away from St. Petersburg. This is where the Tsar and Catherine had their residence during the early years of their marriage. Peter now was surrounded by his relatives and a number of sycophants who made him feel comfortable, but not protected. Suddenly, a panic set in the camp of the conspirators as one of their members had been arrested by supporters of Peter. They knew immediately that they had to act right away. Peter, for his part, dismissed any thought of a potential coup, He just couldn't comprehend how anyone could even think about overthrowing him. He was the Tsar, and that was that. On July 9, 1762, though, Peter was forced to abdicate in favor of his wife, Catherine. From here, Peter was taken to one of his estates at Ropsha to be held under house arrest. He was murdered supposedly by one of the Orlov brothers, presumably Alexei. How Peter's death came about is up for debate. Was it due to a drunken Alexei wanting to shut up the whining Peter? Was it because Catherine ordered it? Or was it because Peter tried to escape? We'll never know, but I suspect that Peter was acting out. Then finally, Alexei had enough of his behavior. He decided the time was right to get rid of him. Permanently. Interestingly... Catherine proclaimed that Rupsha was never to be mentioned again, although she gave this estate to Grigory Orlov. Catherine was now sitting in a very precarious position, as the legitimacy of her reign will always come into doubt, following the successful coup. Therefore, she began a propaganda campaign against her late husband to justify her actions in overthrowing the legitimate czar. This is why, in most of the history books... Peter is viewed with such disdain. Whether Tsar Peter, Peter III was autistic, or a victim of child abuse, or some other mental disability, it is clear he was somewhat different from the others of the Russian court. He implemented many very liberal and positive reforms in his brief time as czar. Still, many of them were overturned under Catherine, only to have some reinstated as a policy that she supposedly came up with. And as they say, history belongs to the victors. This is a shining case study proving that saying. Peter was never a good choice to become the leader of any country, but he wasn't as terrible as Catherine made him out to be. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Episode. Join me next time, which I hope is a much shorter period of time between episodes, when I cover an entirely new subject, yet to be determined, but I've got a number of them. I've been thinking about that I want to share with you. And don't forget, if you want to enjoy more stories about Russian history, join me at patreon/russianrulers.com and for a mere $3 a month, you can gain access to a treasure trove of Russian history. So, until next time, dasvidaniya i спасибо bol'shoye.